Welcome to the Pope on Film. I am Bunny Williams, and with me is... I am the Pope in question. My name is May Lynn. I am the one-time founder of the Church of Ed Wood, which is an actual thing worth a Google. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi is the word for the day. Hi. I'm very excited to be doing this episode of the podcast. This is episode 448 of the podcast, which means that, of course, there have been exactly 447 episodes that we've recorded before this one. Of course. Why would I lie about that? That would be a very weird meta joke that wouldn't make sense to anyone outside no. of maybe two or three people. Yes. Uh, but we are very excited to be doing this episode. I've got a fun game for us to play here in the monologue. And then we're going to be moving to our uh, uh, educationally uneducational history segment. And I this is a huge one. And I'm so excited. This is such a good story. And then our movie this week is Brian and Charles, which is a bizarre British film that made less than a million dollars at the box office. And I freaking love it. <laughs> I love this movie so much. It is freaking adorable. I am Charles Petrescu. Very excited to be talking about this movie over here. Oh, it's going to be so good. Uh... So, yeah, let's get to it. Yes. I have got a it's 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 new podcast segment time again. Okay. Uh, I have a new podcast segment and I'm very excited about it. So uh, this this one will be fun. Uh, I mentioned it on our uh, Facebook group. Uh, you should go there. We post all the good memes. Oh, we do. We always have the best trying to post... memes. Yeah, always we trying to post some good best memes. We do. And we have we... good memes. And people also have to come out for the live show as well. Because yes. there are things yes. that happen in the live show that do not get uploaded. And and hey, you're you're missing it, you know. A cultural yeah. phenomenon is going uh, on here. A cultural phenomenon. And you're phenomenon. missing it. Yeah. So, okay. So, over the past few weeks, I've been seeing some really strange bits of news. Like, here's a tiny weird news segment. Here's a tiny weird bit of news here. Sprinkle some over here and some crinfrage on the top. What in the world was I saying? <laughs> oh, I've been seeing these small bits of news. And with each one, I've thought the same dang thing. I just know there's a funny joke in there somewhere. Like, yeah. you, here's the bit of news. And uh, there's all the ingredients for a good joke. But I just can't figure out what the, the dang joke is. So I've got some real life, small, nice little news nuggets here, and I'm going to read these 100% real bits of news that happened in the last two weeks. And then after each one, Bunny, you and I off the top of our heads are going to try and workshop a joke for each one. Okay. All right. Okay. Are you ready, Bunford and Sons? I am ready. 
Okay. Uh, so let's do this. Number one. Uh, Bob Bourne, the inventor of Peeps Candies, died this week at, yes. at age 98. And I guess that means he'll be dead. See, there's a, there's a joke there somewhere. Yes. You see what I'm saying? You get you get so close to a punchline and then like nothing. So what would be a good joke for the inventor of Peeps dying? I, 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 you know, I know they were horrible, but I absolutely loved his peep tracks. Peep. Yeah. Dick. Uh, All right. Oh, All gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Okay. That was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't. Peeps. But it, but it was the first uh, one, and that's the important part. How, how about this for a joke? I just came up with this. Uh, Per his uh, requests, he intends to be cremated, and then ninety percent of the ashes will just get rid of and put sugar in. Yeah. Oddly, oddly, so, you so know, the ashes. Even though this is very sad and the man is dead, still at least fifty percent of the population thought he was disgusting. Yes. As that's I a, find another, peeps fucking that's disgusting. <laughs> it, it, I have a hard time with them. It, I think it's weird that now there's number one, there's like a bajillion different flavor peeps, and I find that weird. Yeah. And for different holidays, too. Yeah. And uh, when are we going to get some Woodmas peeps? Yeah. That's what we need. We do is some wood, Miss Peeps. Vodka, imperial, imperial, imperial whiskey, whiskey, yeah. yeah, whiskey and Angora, yeah. Uh, Bob Bourne, inventor of Peeps candies, died this week at age ninety-eight, and per his request, he's going to be eaten. I'd see. That you get so close to the joke and then nothing. Well, what I find really odd with the death of the inventor of the peeps is that the inventor of of the circus peanuts and candy corn were both not invited to the funeral. That's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. Uh, here's another bit of news. This week, a London man died after being crushed by a urinal. All of the ingredients to a good joke is there, yeah, but then you hit this wall. That'll really piss you off. Uh, that's a good one. How about this? Crap! <laughs> that's, that one's all right. Okay. Uh, here's another bit of news. In Sacramento this week, a statue of a meatpacking magnate Matt was beheaded. The statue the of statue a packing magnate was beheaded, beheaded in Sacramento. That sounds like a spy code. 
It does. It sounds it sounds very much like the chicken roars in silence. Yeah. Uh, it, which is my favorite spy secret. code. You know that. Yeah. Top uh, Secret is so such a good movie. Top Secret is a good movie. I uh, thought that was Sacramento. far funnier than Airplane, actually. Yeah. And I thought Airplane was pretty damn funny. In Sacramento this week, a statue of a meatpacking magnate was beheaded. So, I guess... Somebody's... Somebody's getting head. <laughs> okay, wait, wait a second. Statement from Paul Pelosi, you got off lucky. Okay, that was pretty good. That one's pretty good. Okay, so Bunny, uh, this next uh, one—not a statement from Paul Pelosi. I should have gotten this statue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Bunny, this next bit is the best headline of 2022. Okay, this is an actual headline to an actual article. It happened in 2022. This is the headline as it is in the article. Menacing wild turkeys, led by Kevin, are taking a New England city for themselves. Well, they really kind of do deserve it. You know, I mean, let them have it. But what about Kevin? That's what I need to know. Eventually, we'll be wearing Kevin's faces on our T-shirts and and bumper stickers, like, but like, like just like an outline sketch. Andy Warhol may rise from the grave to do one of those soup can things of Kevin. You click the article and you read, you you read the actual story, and and it's a. Uh, a bunch of men menacing wild turkeys led by Kevin Sorbo. Led by Kevin Sorbo? Yeah, that's the Kevin. Uh -oh. It's Kevin Sorbo, and he's leading the turkeys in a rebellion to try and get God's Not Dead 8 made. Oh, God. It, it, menacing wild turkeys led by Kevin. That's such a Monty Python skit, isn't it? Yes, it is. Fascinating. Fascinating to me. Okay, so Dimsdale. here's the last. It, what was his name? Dimsdale. What was the name of Dimsdale? Yeah. The the sheep in the trees. Hmm. No, okay. the sheep in the yeah, the sheep in the trees was somebody else. Wasn't that Eric? That was Yes, Eric. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No. That's a different. Yeah. That's the did. That's a different one. Uh, okay. So here's the last bit of news that we're gonna try and make a joke for. According to local police, several squirrel monkeys were stolen from a Louisiana zoo. And in lighter news, according to local police several squirrel monkeys were stolen from a louisiana zoo there's a there's a punchline that i'm missing 
Police say suspect was carrying a large barrel. Uh, S-I-M-P squirrels in my pants. A barrel that's, that's a... full of monkeys. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Squirrel monkeys. Yeah. Squonkies. How did they get that squirrel to have sex with that monkey? Vodka. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, peeps. Uh, yeah. Whiskey-flavored peeps. Well, that was a fun game, wasn't it? I had fun. It, it, that was a f- it was, especially for a first outing. Yeah. You know, we it, sort this, of have to get a kind time. of a vibe going for it, you know? Yeah. This is the first time. Um, oh, wait. Hold on a second. I've got some breaking news. Oh. Okay. Ron DeSantis is now banning the Pope on Film podcast from being in schools. Oh, good. Honestly, we do not belong in schools. I have to agree with him on that one. That's a we good never point. Did. That's a good point. I'm having the hardest time with my son. He is in fifth grade, and um, it apparently I should have been paying attention in that show. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Because we're just about to get to the point where I don't know the math anymore. Yeah. You know? And Max is like, hey, can you help me with this question? And I'm like, no. I'm a straight C student. Hey, Max, do you know uh, how I knew all the answers when I was in school? Because the answers were in the back of the book. Yeah. I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know. You know? But, uh, uh, yeah, I have no idea what we not, were talking not about. Not all of the books had had the answers in the back. I remember, Most I remember, of- like, the first day of school and getting the books and being the first thing I checked for and being like, fuck, no answers. Yeah. Uh, man. Uh, my kids are awesome. And I love them. Yes. And I'm so excited to talk about this week's movie. It's so good and it's adorable. And I, I just don't want to see these serious dramas that will try and make me cry, you know? Yeah. Because so I used to have the AMC. I had I my wife got me at the end of 2018, the AMC a list membership and so for 20 bucks a month i get three free movie tickets a week and for all of 2019 in the beginning of 2020 i saw three movies a week i always went and i saw three movies a week and uh it was great but back then because i had to watch three movies a week i would force myself to watch these movies that i didn't necessarily want to see but then a pandemic happened and now we're on the other side of the pandemic and you know what? Uh, I don't. I don't care to watch the new Avatar, and I'm not going to. Yeah. Period. I want to go to movies that I want to see, movies that will entertain me, movies that will laugh, and I just don't want like some long, serious drama to make me cry. I've done enough crying. You know. Yeah. Ah. Oh, okay. So. Um... <coughs> I, I I am so out of my mind right now. 
So this is going to be a short intro, and uh, I'm going to wrap it up right now. And the reason why we're wrapping it up is uh, the show is usually split up into three parts. There's the monologue, the introduction, and then there is the uh, historical segment where we talk about uh, a bit of history. And then the third part is when we uh, talk about the movie, Little Bunny Foo Foo. Uh, Little Black Cookbook. So these are the three segments of the podcast. Today, our history section is freaking huge, but it's such a good story. It's a, it's the second half of a two-part bit of history. Last week, we talked about King Kong. This week, we're talking about King Kong's uh, racist father. I'm so excited to tell you this story. So we're going to take a short break because we do this on Zoom, and so uh, we have time limits. Well, we might minutes, as well we might as well minutes? just roll into it, and then we will we will reload when it times out because we got a lot of time. We got like twenty minutes, give or take. Yeah, but I I I really want to get to the half. It's so such just a go to good the half. One. That's what I'm saying. Oh, just go to the half. Okay, then I guess we can do that. Wow, that'll 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 feel weird. That feels wrong. I feel feels dirty. Wrong. Yeah. Flexible. Flexible. Yeah. Ready? We're Flexible. going. We're going there. We're going. Are you ready? We're going. Are you ready? We're oh, going. Oh. We're oh, gone. Okay. okay. Yes. And we're hap. And we're hap. Okay. Funny. Yes. Okay. Uh, if you're like me, and I know I am, uh, you're no doubt a big fan of this podcast, The Pope on Film, because, I mean, who is it? This podcast, it's sweeping the nation. It's Swiffer wet jetting the nation. Yes. But only the real fans, the true hardcore fans who have been with us since day one, only they would know uh, the two main facts about the both of us, the two undeniably really real and in no way made up on the spot facts about the both of us, America's hottest will they or won't they podcasting couple, Bunny and Maylin. The first and foremost, Bunny, is the fact that when you're not doing the podcast, you travel around uh, local coffee shops in Chicago, and you're a, f a fairly celebrated local acoustic folk singer. You sing about the plight of the people without a voice. Uh, Bunny, yeah. tell us a little bit about your music. Uh, it is... It, it, it's very it is very aggressive it is all all acoustic i have mastered the ability to play the spaghetti pot uh so i i will just go into the coffee shop holding a giant spaghetti pot and i will use that as my instrument and it is all acoustic who the fuck plugs in a spaghetti pot okay good point good point nobody Nobody. Uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be what's on our new T-shirt at our merch store. Yes, and and I I 
sing songs uh, that are relevant to relevant and important to today's society uh, because I want to shape the world. I want to give back to the world. Uh, you know, so um, the Ballad of Dr. Seuss is a big one. Uh, yeah. Mr. Potato Head's Balls is, is, is Mr. Potato Head's Balls are always a crowd pleaser. Yes. Nice. That's huge. Nice. Yes. Uh, so, so that is, that is it. Uh, uh, I, I have a song about whacking off to the green M&M. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's. Polk. Yeah. Punk folk is polk. Oh, punk folk song. No. Uh, Polk with an A. Yes. Is polka. Yes, I thought. Yeah. And and the second fact, which is about me, is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So this is what we do at this part of the podcast. We uh, get a story from the history books, maybe one that people don't know that well. And uh, I reword it via my own unique storytelling style, my razzmatazz, my ha-cha-cha. And that's what this is, another educationally uneducational installment of historic approximations, or as we like to call it, Give me the dramatic music, Bunny. Dun dun dun! You you were you were too far away from the microphone, so I didn't actually hear you say anything back there. Oh, I was I tried to yell "hap." I wasn't sure if if people could hear. I don't want to yell right into the microphone. Oof, now that's capital H, capital A, small P. Um, this segment needs uh, small P's to its name. Okay, yes. we need that. That's that small p is vital to the essential ebb and flow of the entire broadcast spectrum, Bunny. Listen, hit Bunny, hit the bars, work some parties, and get me some p. I need p. <laughs> Eddie, what kind of a podcast segment is this? Now, this segment was formerly known as Steve's Historic Approximations, or SHAP, as we like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wanted us to or not. Uh, that was the segment's original name. However, a dead name is a dead name for a reason, and so we're moving on. Well, Bunny, what's happening on HAP this week? It is the much-anticipated second half of a two-part HAP. Last episode we were going to simply discuss the origins of the original King Kong movie and the mess surrounding the remake in the 70s and have is, having a small focus on the King Kong protests that happened uh, because the Empire State Building employees were upset. Yes. 
because in the 70s remake, King Kong climbs up the World Trade Center, which is a smart move because unlike the Empire State Building, the World Trade Center is going to be there forever. Yeah. So, um, very excited. So, yes. So, however, uh, while doing the research for that, uh, I uncovered a crazy, 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 crazy story. Um, oh, do, 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 do. And then I couldn't find the picture last week. That upset me so much. I was looking for a picture, but I couldn't find it. It was the whole thing. Go listen to the podcast, episode 447, Bloodbeat, strange-ass film, very glowing. Yes. I low-key loved it. But in the research for that, for last episode's historic approximations, I discovered that the original 1930s King Kong movie was secretly based on a controversial fake documentary that hardly anyone remembers in our modern day. And this, my friends, is that story. It's the story of the country's first fake documentary, its success, and its scandals, which may or may not have involved the United States government. Uh-huh. Yes, this is the true story of King Kong's estranged father, the 1930 film Ngagi. Okay, put up picture A. First one. Did you do it? Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, Ingagi, also known as Ingagi Gorilla, also known as Ingagi the Wonder Film, also known as Ingagi the Greatest Movie Hoax. And later, we're also going to be uh, doing a uh, little postscript about uh, people. Uh, there's going to be, uh, we're also going to talk about the film's number of sequels. One was truly historic, but we'll get there. So buckle up, kiddos, because it's a four-hour drive to Douglas, and we're not stopping anywhere until we get to Tucson, but we will stop at the Stuckies if you're good, bunny. Yeah. If you behave back there. Okay? Okay. Okay? Okay. Uh, today during the podcast, I will be <coughs> drinking the all-new Starry Lemon Line Soda. Not a sponsor. I love this stuff. <coughs> I went outside. Nice. You went outside? You've been outside? Awesome. Okay. Uh, so in order to talk about this notorious film, Ngagi, the wonder film, we need to talk about a whole gang of weirdos. There's Willie. The producer, age question mark. There's Selig, the conjurer, and his bizarre zoo. And there's Charlie, the Filipino with the suit. It's a whole rogues gallery of weirdos for this particular story. But to start off with, uh, let's run away from home, Bunny. You and me are going to run away from home, okay? Okay. Okay. But not like... Modern day run away from home. Not like, uh, oh, I'm going to have, I'm going to get a Uber uh, on my app. We're not, we're not just going to go to Toronto and crash at Bauer's place. I'm talking bindle on a stick. 10 minute warning. Cool. 
hopping on a freight train, sort of running away, learning hobo code. Yes. That sort of old school running away. We're all going to be around a trash can with one can of beans. Because the eventual director of Ingagi was a mousy little guy named Billy Campbell. He was born in 1884 in Ashley, Pennsylvania, a one-time coal mining town, and now it's barely a town. According to the U.S. Census, the town, with liberal finger quotes, has a total area of 0.9 square miles. That's a small town, bunny. Yes, it is. It's barely anything. It's a zit on the butt of the great state of Pennsylvania. So I was going to look up some information about the town of Ashley, Pennsylvania, and I couldn't find anything. So I looked up. In well, let me look up information for Pennsylvania. Do you know what the state bird is, bunny, for Pennsylvania? Uh, the vulture. No. But you said that with the confidence of a man who knew. Yeah, I and I appreciated it. that. The state bird of Pennsylvania is the ruffed grouse. The ruffed grouse. Okay. Yes. So let me tell you about the ruffed grouse. Uh, put up picture B. It's a picture. That's a ruffed grouse. Funny. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, it's a ruffed grouse. I like the picture because doesn't he look like a dappy little Dan? Yes, he does. There aren't too many birds that I could accurately uh, describe as little Lord Fauntleroy. Yes. But that's the rough grouse right there. It is apparently the most widely distributed game bird in all of North America. The thing I love about the rough grouse is that it sounds like a crappy name J.K. Rowling would give to a wizard. Yes. Oi, my name's Ruff Grouse. Welcome to the squiggling ocelot. What can I get you today? That's, that's, that's my new character, Ruff Grouse. Ruff Grouse. Ruff Grouse, yes. Yeah, I... Freaking J.K. Rowling. Um, hey, I've, 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 I've got an idea. I'm going to make a, um, an Asian character in the school. I'm going to name her Cho Chang. Yeah. Dang, J.K. Rowling. Dang. And then I saw this tweet that was so great where, or maybe it was a meme where it's like, um, Tolkien bases a race of of uh, of of people in one of his fantasy books on Jewish people, and he makes them proud of their heritage, and they're scattered all over the place as in, as if in a diaspora. But they are proud of their heritage and proud of their race, and they're hard workers and they're industrious. And J.K. Rowling said. What if we make the goblins with hook noses that work in banks? <laughs> Freaking J.K. Rowling. So Billy C. Billy C. was born in a nothing town in the 1880s, and he wants excitement, <clears throat> adventure, some third thing. 
So one day the circus comes to town. Dude runs away with the circus, which in the early 1900s was a viable career path. Yes. Back then. It's like, oh, it's a career day at school. And then there's just there's just one guy who's there to get kids into clowning. So Billy is growing up in the circus world. And let's say that at first they're all, hey, new kid, go clean up the animal crap. And Billy's just happy to not be in Ashley, Pennsylvania. I'm happy to not be in Ashley, Pennsylvania. Bunny, are you happy to not be in Ashley, Pennsylvania? Oh, fucking God, yes. I don't even think they have a Walmart. I don't even think they have a Walmart. Well, so that, that, would, that would be a plus, but they they, uh, they clearly do not have. Uh, okay, they have a hooker, but you don't want to go there. They don't have a Dairy Queen. They have a taste because all freeze. of Ashley has sucking on a chili dog. <laughs> uh, so. Where was I? Okay, so he goes from shoveling animal crap to dealing with the animals, to handling the animals, and eventually he becomes adept at animal wrangling. So eventually, Billy C. leaves the circus. He opens up a movie theater because Billy wants to get into the motion picture business. And it is here that Billy Campbell has a Marvel Comics team up with the first member of this rogues gallery of weirdos that created the first uh mockumentary and that is William Selig and uh maybe that's a good place to leave it for now because we do this on Zoom and our 40 minutes are almost up and uh this is a good place for me to remember where I left off in my notes okay so uh so we record this on Zoom so we're going to take a short break and uh, we will be right back with the rest of the story of the making of Ngangi. Uh, there won't be any more stuff about the rough grouse, though. But we're going to keep it up because it, it doesn't it look like a pretty boy. It, it looks like uh, if someone made John Oliver into a bird for real. Yes. James, it gives off a James corden vibe. <laughs> it looks like he has treated some waiters like crap before. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take a break for just a second and we will right, be right back with more historic approximations. Hey, guy. <laughs> I think Social Security should be uh, privatized. You can't go to a supermarket without being accosted by a homeless guy. Democrats and liberals attack viciously.
I will take over store time. Not if I have anything to say about it, Skeletor. We will fight to the death. Or, gentlemen, may I suggest a second option? What if we all enjoy the great taste of sugar crisp? Can't get enough of that sugar crisp, sugar crisp, sugar crisp. And we're back with the friend, our friend, the grouse. Yes, the rough, the roughed grouse. The roughed grouse. I'm the roughed grouse, I is. Welcome to Hogsmeade. Uh, so, uh, Billy Campbell ran off to join the circus. Now he owns a movie theater and he's teaming up with a man with a crazy name. William Selig is his name. He went by a lot of other names in his lifetime, including W.N. Selig, Colonel Selig, and Selig the Conjurer. Because Selig Selig was born to Polish immigrants in Chicago in the 1860s, so he was older than Billy. And uh, Selig also ran off and joined the circus as a teenager. So Billy Campbell and Selig the Conjurer, uh, both uh, carnies, similar backgrounds. Selig was a fake conjurer, a fake professor. He started a traveling band. He had his hand in everything. Uh, he left the circus. He sold furniture. He was always trying for his next big uh, gimmick, money-making, uh, who's he, what's it. Then in 1894, at the Texas State Fair, Selig is looking for his next big uh, thing. And he sees some of Edison's employees doing a demo of the kinetoscope. Ooh. Ah, some third noise. Uh, so Selig is thinking, how can I make movies without paying Edison any damn money? Because Edison is crazy. Uh, did you hear? He electrocuted an elephant. And yes. there's a whole Bob's Burgers episode about it. So, uh, so this slick uh, a-hole uh, uh, Selig the Conjurer, he tracks down a guy. He's like a pipe fitter, a welder, an electrician. He works with metals. He, the Lumiere brothers, once hired him to fix a film camera. And uh, Selig the Conqueror finds this guy and says, "Okay, here's a crap ton of money. Tell me what's inside of it." Tell me how to make it. We're going to reverse engineer us a camera. Okay. So Edison was like, hey, I've created the kinetoscope. Now you can make moving pictures. So if you want to make movies, I'm the only person in town. Pay me a bajillion dollars. And it was William Selig that said, I'm going to figure out how to make this and make it cheap in a way where everyone can afford it to bypass Edison. In a way, this guy accidentally created Hollywood. But William Selig, with the 
employees help Selig the Conjurer reverse engineers one of the first non-Edison film cameras, and he uses that to start the Selig Polyscope Company, which was one of the first motion picture studios in the United States. Selig the Conjurer, a freaking carny, fake colonel, fake conjurer, wannabe Tom Parker mofo, inadvertently helps create Hollywood. Can you believe that? So, Selig the Conjurer meets Billy C because Billy C owns a movie theater, and Selig hires Billy C. That is it, though. That is literally so Hollywood where you you just always fail up. Yeah. Yeah. Fail a task. Failed successfully. Yeah. Yeah. So Selig hires Billy C. to write scripts for him. Originally, Selig's picture studio, because pictures weren't a thing, so Selig's studio would just shoot news and travelogues and documentary sort of shiznittle. But The Conjurer wants to get into fiction. For Selig, Billy C. wrote a film called How the Cause Was Won which some people call the first war drama ever on film. So for Selig the Conjurer, Billy C. made one of the first war movies ever made. So Selig the Conjurer gives Billy C. his first big break, and soon Billy Campbell has moved on to other studios. He's working for Max Sennett. He's working for Keystone. He's working for Universal. And he starts using his circus background. Billy makes a bit of a name for himself making animal comedies. Okay, put up picture six so that we can all see a mousy little uh, Billy Campbell. This is Billy Campbell. Billy was a circus kid. He knew how to handle animals. He becomes one of the name in animal comedies. He becomes a name, writing, directing, producing he did a bunch of uh, Our Gang knockoffs. Uh, in 1992... What the hell would be an Our Gang, our gang knockoff? I, I, I don't know, but like... Uh, I don't know. I would like to think that uh, the, the Rhapsody yeah, Street but, and, kids and were just... Sa- a, it also sounds like it should really, really exist, but I have never heard of one. Yeah, oh, not where me. are those movies? Yeah. In 1922, the newspapers claimed Willie, and this is a quote, William S. Campbell has directed nearly all the famous monkeys that have appeared in movies in the past six years. Fun side note, Billy C. got divorced in 1926. The wife said in court, quote, he spends more time with animals than with me. That is a boss ass answer. Yeah. That is awesome. So it's 1925 and Billy C., the animal director, gets an idea for a movie. An idea so crazy, so wild, so some third thing. Oh, uh, I have lost my spot that no one has ever thought of this before okay i have a movie idea hear me out okay wild and crazy idea no one's ever done this but just hear me out okay what if we hear me out 
made a documentary that was real. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Uh, documentaries are real. You can't make. You can't just make a fake one. What would that even be? A mockumentary? No one would ever pay to see one of those. Not even if, in the future, Fred Willard is born. Yes. But Billy C. wants to make a documentary. We can just fake it, and we'll pass it off as real. <coughs> uh, we'll make a few bucks. Boom. And that first mockumentary that tried to pass itself off as a normal documentary was the racist ass 1930 film in Gagi. Now switch it to D. Uh, look at that poster. That is some that is some racist. Forgive my French. Yeah. That is some racist mierde. There. <laughs> is that how you say shit in French? I think so. How do you say shit in French? No. You're in a French class. They don't teach you how to cuss in high school French. Man, our tax dollars at work. Okay, fine. But uh, so this is some uh, 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 racist uh, shit here. But this so, movie. So what, so what happens if you're stuck in France and you have to call somebody a cock gobbler? Are you going to be prepared? I don't know. I don't know. Because it happens. I know Shiza. Huh? I know Shiza. Yeah. Wrong country. Yeah. Wrong country, though. Kids, have you ever wondered why King Kong, a 100-foot gorilla, somehow inexplicably wants to do it with a 5-foot-tall white model? The reason is this crappy racist fake documentary that made millions of dollars in the 1930s that's not adjusted for inflation in gagi made what historians estimate to be roughly four million dollars in 1930 money adjusted for inflation that comes out to hold on uh Hacking into the mainframe, carry the two, a shit ton. Yes. Would be how much that would be now. So here is the plot of Ngagi. It's a documentary about the real-life British adventurer, Sir Hubert Winstead and his team, as they travel deep into the African jungle to witness a very rare tribal ritual that no white man has ever seen and lived. <laughs> Where the natives sacrifice their own women to large gorillas to spare the rest of the tribe. Huh, huh, huh. Gee, that sure does sound familiar, doesn't it? Huh, I'm having some sort of a deja vu moment. Maybe there's a glitch in the matrix. Hmm, I wonder where I have heard that before. Huh. Sacrificing women to a giant ape. Uh, crazy enough, that's something George Santos claimed 
oh, on yes. the campaign trail. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, uh, where in the world was I? Uh, yes. Oh, oh, here's, here's some proof. Okay. I found this according to YouTube. Thank you. Approximately 41 minutes into Ngagi, a wild rhinoceros charges directly at the camera and it quickly jump cuts to a shot of a hunter firing at the camera. And three years later, approximately 18 minutes into RKO's King Kong, filmmaker Carl Denham 100% describes the exact same scene. Yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, Ingagi is a fake documentary that they try to pass as a real one, and it was such a success that RKO is a very well done and masterful, groundbreaking ripoff of a racist <coughs> fake documentary. That is fucked up. And that, kids and kiddos, is why King Kong is always horny on Maine for tiny chicks. It's yeah. all in Goggy, bunny. All roads lead sense. to in Goggy. It all makes sense. I need to have uh, a pin tax on the back of my uh, wall with a bunch of string and Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. So to make in Goggy, Billy C gets a team of people to help him. There's the producer. Oh, his name was Willie, a.k.a. William Alexander. He was an African-American. He was a black man who somehow had the balls to produce one of the most racist films in existence. Now, here's the odd thing. I'm going to tell you what the odd thing is. And then regardless of whether it's probable, I'm going to continue with that which is in the history books. Hear me out. Um, William D. Alexander was born in Denver in 1916. He's a local boy, Bunny. Yeah. And he had a hand in the movie business, and he is listed as one of the main executive producers of Ngagi. But... But... If you do the math on that, did you notice when I said he was born in 1916? If you do the math, then he produced Ngagi when he would have been 14 years old. Yeah. That's that not can't working. be right. A 14-year-old black kid from Chicago, a teenager, becoming an executive producer of one of the highest grossing movies in America during one of the worst, most racist times in history. The math doesn't check out. But... This is what the history book said. A 14-year-old teen, a black teen named Willie, was the executive producer. I don't believe that a, any black person would ever finance this racist story of uh, uh, African bestiality, uh, let alone B, that said person would be in high school. But there it is, Billy C. and his teenage director. This is just what's in the history book. And I'm just letting you know. Uh, so there's Billy C, the director. There's Willie the Money Man. But wait! We're gonna need a gorilla suit. You should say that about every aspect of your life. I think oh, so. I have to... I have to 
go to work. I need to get coffee, uh, pick up my laundry. We're gonna need a gorilla suit. Everything is better in a gorilla suit. Oh man, I am late for church. And I'm gonna need a gorilla suit. Man. I it is very difficult being a doctor, being a decorated surgeon. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. I'm gonna have to go into this next room and tell that young pregnant woman that her husband is dead. Nurse, get me a gorilla suit, stat. Everything is better with a gorilla suit. Yes. So I mean, this is how we're gonna movie. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna movie the movie. So, uh, yeah, we can get some stock footage. We can shove that in there. Get some stock footage of some animals. We can steal some scenes from other films if we need to. Repeat for dramatic emphasis in uh, parentheses. We can put stock footage in there, and we can steal scenes from other films too to pad out the film. That might be important. I repeated that. That might be important later. Yes. But we need a gorilla suit for some of the scenes. Well, in the 1920s and 1930s, if you needed a gorilla suit, you called one man. And that man was Charles Gamora, a.k.a. Carlos Cruz Gamora, a.k.a. Charlie the Filipino, who happens to own a gorilla costume. Because back in the early days, and I think this is something that we've talked about on the podcast, maybe something you've mentioned before, Bunny, but sometimes to become famous in Hollywood or to get a part in a movie, all you need is to be the guy who owns a gorilla suit. Oh, God, yes. There have been so many movies where, well, that was the guy who owns a gorilla suit. So many times. And so, then they would, they would just hire you in the suit because you had the suit. Yeah. So we have, yeah. I can't think of any offhand, but we had a few famous gorilla suit actors. And probably one of the famous, most famous one is Charlie the Filipino with a suit, a.k.a. Carlos Cruz Gamora. But, uh, yeah, he was the Filipino with a suit. He did a ton of gorilla parts in movies, but he was usually not credited. And here is why. Back then, Hollywood was still trying to, uh, to use wrestling parlance. They were still trying to keep Hollywood kayfabe. So they would want people to be tricked into thinking that the guy in the gorilla costume was a real gorilla. And oftentimes they would even hire these people and swear them to secrecy about being a guy in a gorilla costume. So, okay, we've got we're starting to get a team here. There's Billy C, the Carney director. There's Willie, the teenage money man. There's Charlie, the Filipino with the gorilla suit. But wait, where will we film this movie? L.A. isn't exactly the jungles of Africa. Well, that is when Billy C says, don't worry, I know a guy. Beep, boop, pop, boop. Oh, wait, this is like the 19, this is like 1929, so. Ruggada, da, 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 da. 
No, 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 You know, you're still not far back enough. Going back there, you would have to turn the crank on the side of the phone. Oh, yeah, nice. And then ask for the operator. My bell. Get me Klondike 5. Huh? Yeah. So he calls somebody up. Uh, hey, Selig, I need a favor. Yeah, you remember Selig the Conjurer, the guy who accidentally created Hollywood? Uh, that huckster's back. Uh, because within his film studio, this nut job, this mad lad, built a zoo. Not for people. It was a zoo that was specifically built via Hollywood razzmatazz. It was built to look like a friggin' jungle. So if you were making a safari pick, you were making a jungle picture, you're making a new Tarzan film, uh, you called Selig the Conjurer, and for a price he'd let you shoot in his fake L.A. jungle zoo. So they get Selig the Conqueror That's, to use. You know, his... as long as he had one. Yeah. So uh, uh, they make this racist ass fake documentary about African women who are sex slaves to giant apes in a ritual. Uh, and I had to add this story. Uh, can you switch it to picture F, the most important? F? Oh, did we not do it to E? We never made it to E. Okay, do it to E. Okay, it's the guy with the gorilla, yeah? Yeah. Okay, that's Charlie the Filipino who owns a gorilla costume. He did most of the, a bunch of the gorilla pictures. And there he is with, uh, doesn't he look like he would be in one of those uh, Bowery Boy movies? He does. He does. He looks like uh, one of the hell's a popping boys. Yeah. You know? Uh, so uh, that's uh, Charlie, the Filipino, who happened to own a gorilla costume. He will be playing some of the gorilla parts. So now let's move it to F. The most important picture of this entire story. Oh, look at that picture. Look at its beauty, its majesty. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is a perfect boy. So in the film, Sir Hubert Winstead manages to capture footage of a new animal heretofore undiscovered in the history books. A new animal he discovers in the journey. This picture right here is it. Sir Hubert dubs this new creature, pause for dramatic effect, the Tortadillo. And here's the thing. That is real. Do you see that, Bunny? That is real. Okay. In that, it's so a it's real a fucking gamma. turtle. It's a real turtle that they glued wings and scales to. And a tail. So this movie is not only racist, but it's also mad animal cruelty, dog. <laughs> they also show a lot of like animals getting slaughtered, 
in tribal ceremonies, Apocalypse Now style. Yeah. Forklips Now. Anywho, I love the Tortadillo. Look at that cute little guy. Oh, look at you. Look at you, little Tortadillo. If I go right here, I can, I can feed him. Here, here you go. Here's a little Tortadillo treat. There you go. That was nice. I uh, Hashtag Tortadillo. If you're a fan of Tortadillo, shout out hashtag Tortadillo in the comments. Uh, I'm all about the Tortadillo. It could so be a Pokemon. Yes. Now, now, seriously, run over here. Run over here. Come 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 here. This is a fake. This is a fake creature that appeared in this fake racist ass documentary. It's called a Tortadillo. Can you see that as a Pokemon? Tail, the wings, but it's also like a freaking turtle. Yeah. 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 I'm really excited. It's a new flying type. It's a flying rock type. What? Mind blown. Yeah. That's my new he, he and it and it flies in the air. Tortadillo, go use razor tail. Tordo, Tordo, Tordo. That's the well, noise that's, that it that's makes. That's Gamera heritage. Yeah. Of course Hashtag it would have to fly. Yeah. So uh the gang is all together. We got the director, the teen producer. The guy with the suit, Selig the Conjurer, his weird-ass zoo. They form a production company that they call Congo Pictures, and they make Ngagi, but they are so freaking broke. They're, they're, they're struggling to make this film. They're cutting corners left and right. Uh, there's one scene where a lion jumps right at the camera, and uh, that's a famous lion. It's the MGM lion. They borrowed it. Yeah? Yeah. It's really weird. And here's the thing. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later in this uh, historic approximations. I'm really overselling this movie. It is really shitty. It's, it's so bad. It's nigh unwatchable, but we'll get to that. Uh, I'm just glad so we that got... the MGM lion got another job, because that's the only yeah, gig right? I know of it he had. Yeah. But Congo Pictures is so broke, which may or may not be a byproduct of having your executive producer be a teenager who's still in high school trying to pass math class, but that may or may not be true. I don't know. But Congo Pictures is so broke that they can only afford one print of the movie. One print of the whole film. So they book it in one theater in, in San Diego for two weeks. Uh, and over 40,000 people flock to see Ngagi in two weeks, which is a lot. Uh, uh, move on over to picture G, Bunny. Thank you, my friend who is more than brother to me. I embrace thee. I'm going to find that co- that cartoon, that, that, uh, that 1960s. Thor cartoon that that line is from and I'm going <laughs> to send it to you, okay? Okay. okay I'm going to send it to you. Oh, yeah, it's the poster with the with the big boobies. Uh, racist, racist as heck. Or, uh, 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 wow, this reboot of Mannequin is sure is different. Yes. 
that she's bald like a mannequin. I liked that first film. Now Andrew, Andrew McCartney let himself us. go. Huh. So, uh, this is uh, in Goggy, a film they're advertising as 100% authentic. The most sensational picture ever filmed. Uh, just but still, they're having a hard time. 40,000 people flock to see Ngagi, but they're still having a hard time despite their success in San Diego, which, fun fact, I'm not sure if you know this, San Diego is actually Spanish for a whale's vagina. No major <laughs> distributor will touch this African bestiality documentary. So they they book Ngagi's sole print on a theater-by-theater theater tour, San Diego, L.A. for two weeks, Chicago. And then in, on April 5th, 1930, Ngagi opened at the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco, which coincidentally was owned by RKO Pictures, who looked at Ngagi and went, hmm... Looks like people are really flocking to see women offered up as a sacrifice to a giant gorilla. I'll just put that in the old memory banks. <laughs> on its opening day, just on opening day, at the uh, Orpheum Theater in San Francisco, uh, it made a little under $4,000 in one theater. Uh, Ngagi was such a hit that RKO themselves ordered more prints of the film made and booked it into more RKO-owned movie theaters. It would eventually be playing in 14 theaters nationwide and make about a million dollars in 1930 money. That's not adjusted for inflation. That's crazy. Until, knock, knock, knock. Who's at the door? Ten Switch minute it warning. to picture H, Bunny. Ten minute warning. Switch it to picture eight. Who is it? It's the Hayes office. William H. Hayes. Uh, uh, the, the government has sent me here. Hollywood. I am here to clean up Hollywood. Uh, it's not entirely Fatty Arbuckle's fault. All of y'all are effing horrible. But I'm here to clean it up. I'm starting the Motion Picture Association of America, and we're going to clean up this town. So we have some questions for the makers of Ngagi. They came down hard on Ngagi, and here's the crazy part. It was not because of the racism of the film or the uh, suggested bestiality. It No, it was because... If you remember earlier, large portions of the film were stolen from other freaking movies. Okay. Yeah. So the Hayes office started an investigation. The Better Business Bureau went in there and they realized, oh shit, there is no Sir Hubert Winstead. And then the American Society of Mammologists, which is apparently a real thing and not something I made up, they were like, uh, yeah, we're all scientists. This is all bullshit. You know that, right? Like, apes don't bang human chicks. Plus, that's just a turtle. 
<laughs> with some crab glued onto it. But hey, hey, American Society of Mammologists, we current we now have beef. This podcast, the Pope on Film, officially is against the American Society of Mammologists because how dare you make fun of my favorite Pokemon in the world, the Tortadillo, my new baby. In fact, put yeah. the picture back up, buddy. Picture eye. Put picture eye back up so we can look at my new favorite baby, the Tortadillo. I'm talking about this fake uh, racist documentary, Maxwell. And the movie was fake, but they tried to pass it off as real. And so they got this creature, which is popping up now, and it's uh, they said that it was a brand new, never before discovered creature called the Tortadillo. Doesn't that look like a Pokemon, though? Thank you. Thank you. My 11 year old agrees. This is a Pokemon. Yeah, I said that it was a flying rock type. So, yeah, it's like a hybrid. Okay. Okay. Uh, Sodas outside. Um, and they have really cool bottle caps. Look at that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you have a bunch of them. Okay. We're almost done, Bunny. I apologize for how long this segment is. Oh. Uh, I'm also crazy high, but I think I'm passing off. You're, as long you're as I don't tell everybody. Well. Thank you. As long as I don't tell everybody that I'm really high, then everything should be fine. No one will know. It's not like we're broadcasting no on the internet or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I want to talk some more about the Tortadillo, but uh, we're very close to finishing. Um, how about this? Why don't we uh, cut this now and we will... and. Uh, because we record this on Zoom, so we have 40-minute breaks, and uh, this is a long one, but I swear we're almost done with the story. I'm, sh I'm shocked no one has made a movie of the making of N'Gagi, because this is crazy. I have a wonderful postscript at the end, too. It's going to be great. But we're going to take a short break to restart the Zoom chat, and we will be right back with the startling conclusion to the story of Ngagi, the um, King Kong's father who went away for some smokes. Yes. And never came back. Like, seriously, you, you know King Kong as a part of your Christmas tradition, so, like, you're hearing this story, and it, it clicks, doesn't it? Oh, God, yes. I always wondered why a 100-foot-tall Abe would be in love with like this chick and it's because they made this fake documentary that said in Africa they have a ritual where women are sacrificed to these apes and want to bang them and that's why King Kong to this freaking day has a thing for little chicks yeah man let's cancel King Kong I think and, and, his and father was it, it's racist. just so Carl Denham all over like, that is, is literally the character. Like, you can literally... There is a there is a case to be made that N'Gagi is a fake film. That N'Gagi is the movie Carl Denham made. Yeah. That led him to now go on this real expedition. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. 
but it all makes sense. This is King Kong right here. They couldn't afford a uh, Rodan, so they glued some tire pieces onto a freaking turtle. I love this thing. This thing should be the new mascot of this podcast. Uh, we'll get to that. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. I, I'm so out of my mind. Um, we're going to take a short break, but stay with us because we will be right back in just a few seconds with the sh uh, shocking conclusion to the making of Ngagi. Here we and go. And cut. I think Social Security should be pri uh, privatized. You can't go to a supermarket without being accosted by a homeless guy. Democrats and liberals attack viciously. I will take over store time. Not if I have anything to say about it, Skeletor. We will fight to the death. Or, gentlemen, may I suggest a second option? What if we all enjoy the great taste of sugar crisp? Can't get enough of that sugar crisp, sugar crisp, sugar crisp. And it is the tortadillo. The tortadillo, yes, my, my. My new favorite baby, my favorite Pokemon, the Tortadillo. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I grew up in the Southwest. And so since I was a little kid, I have been obsessed about jackalopes. Okay. That some huckster somewhere got a dead rabbit and stuffed it and then said, I'm going to glue antlers on it and pass it off as a real animal. And it's a fake animal but that everyone sort of wants to believe is real. Oh, God, yeah. You find them in gift shops all over here, too. Yeah, and, and you you see jackalope merch and jackalope stuff and stuffed jackalopes and all of this stuff. So if society can obsess over and manifest a jackalope into a type of existence, then I can believe with all of my trans heart of hearts that somewhere in the jungle, there exists this beautiful, beautiful baby boy. This beautiful baby. This little flying camera, the tortadillo, who can fly and is a friend to all children. Yes. So, uh, uh, hashtag tortadillo. Let's get the tortadillo trending. Uh, <laughs> where in the world was I? Hayes Code, the Better Business Bureau, and then finally the FTC, 
or as it's pronounced, the futuk, I believe, is how they pronounce that. The FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, steps in and rules that Congo Pictures cease advertising the film as authentic, and RKO drops the film from all of its theaters. But that's not the end, because Billy C is all, screw RKO, we're rich now, baby. We don't even need studio-owned movie theaters anymore. We'll just book it in independent movie theaters as the film the government doesn't want you to see. Yeah. And it worked. Soon it's in 30 cities all across America. Uh, twice as many as it was when it was just an RKO film, and it's making bank. And this pisses off William Hayes with the the Hayes uh, office, the Hayes Code. And that petty, that petty bitch. Oh no, she did it. This <laughs> is what she did. She tracks down our boy Charlie, the guy with the gorilla suit. And they strong arm him to come out as the principal ape in the ape suit in Ngagi. They literally oh. got Charlie the Filipino and blackmailed him. Hey, uh, we're the Hayes Commission. If you don't come out and say, hey, Ngagi is fake and I was in a gorilla outfit, then we will make sure that you never work in Hollywood again. And so... They outed Charlie, the guy with the suit. And he came out and he's like, yeah, Ngagi's fake. I was in the gorilla outfit. But that didn't hurt Ngagi at all. And they advertised that this was a banned film. Uh, and it went on to make millions. In fact, it was such a smash hit that... Funny, uh, are you still there? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I just I I clicked something. Oh no, I can't see you at all. Okay. There you go. Okay. Uh this film is such a smash hit that a year later in 1931, the whole gang gets back together and films a second fake documentary called Numa Poo Cannibalism. Okay. But uh, it was not a hit. Now, that film is lost. If you look up Ngagi on YouTube, you will find some people and be like, Ngagi, the first found footage horror film. No, this isn't a found footage film at all. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, the long lost film Ngagi, this was never lost. Now, the follow-up they did, New Mapu Cannibalism, that is lost. I can't find crap about that film. Whereas in Goggy, uh, it never went away. It just became a obscure piece of film history, which is odd because if you could switch it to picture J, Bunny, literally three years after Congo Pictures makes in Goggy, literally RKO sees the $4 million that Ngagi made and said, now see, here's where their problem was. They tried to pass that flick off as real. 
What if we make Ngagi, but we don't pass it off as real? We let everyone know that it's fake there. That's like a 1930s. Hey, who took my shiraz? What I find find fascinating about this is that it's so backwards to how things ordinarily are. Ordinarily, there is a good movie, and then there is a cheap ripoff. Yeah. You know, like, first there's Star Wars, then there's Battle Beyond the Planet. When I say ice pirates, people get pissed. Yeah. That is what I learned. Yeah. First there's Star Wars, then there's ice pirates. This is completely the other way around. First there's a crap movie, and then there's a a, a really, really good ripoff of that crap movie. Yeah. This is the opposite way. They got a crap movie, and they made a wonderful film out of it. But that right there, that poster, King Kong. They just did Ngagi good. That's all they did. That's yeah. all they did. And I've been obsessed about this question for a long time because I always wondered what was so weird about Godzilla versus the sea monster. Yeah. Also known as uh, Ibira Horror of the Deep. Uh, is that they find Godzilla inside of a mountain and he awakens from his slumber and he falls in love with a beautiful native woman. And I thought, why in the world is this the one and only Godzilla film where Godzilla is horny for a human woman? And then I learned, oh, wait, they were going to make this as a King Kong film, but they didn't want to do a King Kong film just then. So they just said, fuck it, just put Godzilla in it. Oh, so that makes me think. Why the hell is King Kong wanting to do it with the mom from Growing Pains? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And now we know it's because RKO literally just said, let's copy Ngagi. And, uh, well, won't people know we're copying Ngagi? No, we'll do a sound alike. How about this? Instead of making our apes like 12 feet tall, we'll make them 100 feet tall. There you go. It's legally different. Trust me. No one will know. And RKO (laughs) was right because here we are right now in the year of our Lord 2023. And people love King Kong and they have no idea that King Kong's daddy was the world's first mockumentary that was super racist. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. That really is it, insane. It's On a lot of crazy. Because, like, like from, from, going, from going from never having heard of it to totally seeing it, you yeah. know, like, it's obvious. Yeah. And every 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 single solitary itineration of King Kong has been based on this movie that no one knows about. Which is weird because it was a huge, massive runaway hit for its time, but King Kong was a little bit more. Yeah. 
and history is written by the winners. That's right. Yeah. So, okay, that was a long half, but geez, that is a story, and I freaking love that. Now, I want to mention one thing about Ngagi, and then I'm going to go into some interesting postscripts for our cast of characters. Okay. Which is going to be a lot of fun. But first off, number one, the first thing I want to mention. Ngagi is out there. You can see it right now if you want it. It was released on Blu-ray in 2021. It got like a 4K Blu-ray restoration with, um, I think, from Kino Pictures. Kino releases. It's got uh, uh, commentaries, and it's really amazing. And then you can download it on archive.org. It's all over YouTube in varying degrees of quality. If you really want a pristine copy of Ngagi, get the Blu-ray. But word of warning, and I can't stress this enough. I, 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 I saw this somewhere. I read a lot of articles and uh, about this film, and then I tracked down the film, and then I saw the film. I saw Ngagi for this podcast segment, and... um. <coughs> Some article somewhere, some movie reviewer said that people will no doubt flock to this film expecting a so bad it's good laugh riot like Reefer Madness. This movie sucks. Oh, yeah. It is so bad. It is not good. Imagine a less good, much longer Reefer Madness. Which is shocking because that's not good to begin with. But compared to Ngagi, Reefer Madness is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah. But um, it's boring AF. Uh, the stock footage and scenes from other movies is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> suggested bestiality. Plus, there's a lot of real-life uh, animals being slaughtered in it, so I saw it for the segment. It's not for the faint of heart or the easily bored or the ADHD. It's it's not a so-bad-it's-good film. It's just bad. But if you want to see uh, King Kong's Daddy, it's on YouTube. It's just there. So you can see it whenever. You it's are weird. saying what I am hearing you say is that this movie would have been greatly improved with a sock puppet. Yes. Okay. Yes. It would have been greatly improved with a sock puppet, yes. And uh, it's not even good. It's not even a good movie while you're high. It's not even. If that, you're going to see a, 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 a gorilla costume movie... Just see APE, not to be confused with King Kong. It stars Joanna Kearns. Yes. So uh, let's do some postscripts for our cast of characters. Pretend this is a movie made by uh, uh, the Karaszewskis. Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. They did Ed Wood, and it had all the postscripts at the end. Yes. And then there, the next script they wrote was the people versus Larry Flint. And I'm watching the movie going, I wonder if it's going to have a uh, cheesy postscripts like Ed Wood. And then it does. Yeah. 
so here's some interesting postscripts for some of the characters. Billy C., the director, he made a ton of movies before Nkagi. He was a carny. He, he ran away to join the circus. He was a carny. He opened his own movie theater. He started writing scripts uh, for the guy who invented are we, are Hollywood. Are we flipping frames? Huh? Did we flip frames or were we... No, not yet. To... Not yet. Right, I, don't have a, I don't have a picture for each one of these postscripts. But uh, Billy C., the director, he's the mousy guy. Uh, <clears throat> he made a bunch of movies, mostly animal comedies, and then he did Ngagi, and then he did Numapu Cannibalism, and after the failure of Numapu Cannibalism, he would never make another film, but he lived off of his millions and lived a long, quiet life, and he died in the 70s at age 87. It astounds me some people who live so long. Like, my grandfather died in uh, 2000 and right at the beginning of 2010. My grandfather died in 2010, and he was 98 years old. Yeah. So, like, he was so old to think that, like, a few weeks before he died, he was on, like, a Zoom call. Oh, wow. You know? And to think, like, he would hop the rails. He was an actual cowboy who was hired to protect a ranch. So it blows my mind that the director of a 1930s film lived to see Billy Jack. Yeah. yeah that's weird. That, like, the director of the film that King Kong was based on <clears throat> lived to see Saturday Night Live. <clears throat> that's weird. So good for Billy C., the director. He lived a long life with a bunch of money. Then there's Willie, the maybe or maybe not teenage money man movie producer. Now I'll switch it to Picture K. And that's the uh, good-looking dude in the suit. Reminds yeah. me of uh, the trumpeter in the movie Babylon, which is now out on streaming. And I suggest you watch it, but FYI, it's filthy as hell yeah it is such a dirty film but it's a great look at like this in goggy <clears throat> moment in american hollywood during world war ii willie worked with the u.s government making uh newsreels for black audiences back in america he made films for the u.s government about black life for black people in World War II in order to lift up spirits for the people who were at home. When he when the war was over, he opened his own production studio and made movies before moving to London, where he became a highly praised filmmaker who was known for making a series of documentaries about Africa. So a fake documentary led to a number of real documentaries. And in fact, in the year 1960, ABC aired a 12-part documentary by him really? on primetime. Yeah, about the uh, African countries that were popping up. 
he stayed a movie producer throughout his entire life in the 1970s. He produced O.J. Simpson's first starring film. Oh, my God. Starring film. He died in the Bronx in 1991. Dude, you saw Michael Keaton's Batman. That's astounding. Good for you, Willie, the teenage movie producer. Then uh, our next postscript is Charlie the Filipino with the gorilla suit. He would become a celebrated Hollywood makeup artist. He would continue to be the gorilla in a number of films, but he also moved towards makeup and uh, being a makeup artist. In fact, uh, I've got a picture of him. Can you switch it to picture L, please, Bonnie? Because that is the Charlie with the suit. He nice. was the creator who created the alien creatures and is in the rubber outfit for freaking I married a monster from outer space. Nice. That's Charlie the Filipino in there. Isn't that crazy? He made, he came up with the design for the alien and he made the suit and he's in the freaking suit. He went from nice. in Kagi to, uh, I married a monster from outer space. He did a bunch of work, but despite his long and celebrated Hollywood career, uh, he died actually in like, I think the 60s or 70s making a film. I think Jack the Giant Slayer or Jack and the Giant Jack the Giant Killer. I don't know. But he died like while making a film. But despite his long and celebrated Hollywood career, he is still known to this day as, quote, the king of the gorilla man. Okay. Now, I want to go back to Ngagi the picture itself for a little bit because here's the historic part. So they tried to make a sequel called Numa Poo Cannibalism, but it failed then like in the 50s somebody else made a movie and then stole a bunch of scenes from Ngagi which was funny because it's stealing a, a scenes from a movie that stole things but anyway in the in 1940 a black actor and writer named Spencer Williams wrote a short story about these half ape half human hybrids who are attacking people he called the story House of Horror, and he sold it as a screenplay, but the producers wanted a snappier title. So just like Troll 2, it would be called, and can you switch it to Picture M, Bunny? House of Horror would be called Son of Ngagi. This was a movie that came out in 1940 that was named this solely to make you, the audience, think that it's a sequel to Ngagi when it's not. Again, it's freaking Troll 2. And I like the fact that this is the original movie poster for Ngagi, and yet uh, some website decided that they were going to copyright it, and I realized that like this morning. So it says on the bottom, like, copyright, something like that. But you didn't make the Son of Ngagi poster. Oh. So, uh, it's fine. So, uh, I bring Son of Ngagi up because it is historic. 
it's got an all black cast, a black screenwriter who wrote the script based on a black uh, a man's short story. This is some people call Son of Ngagi the first all black horror movie. Other people call Son of Ngagi the first all black science fiction movie. Either way, Ngagi spawned a historic sequel. Which is also on YouTube and it sucks. I tried watching it and I just I, even though it's got before toppers. Yeah. I, I could not watch this. But it's the first uh, black horror movie. It's the first black science fiction movie. You can draw a line between Son of Ngagi and, I don't know, Nope. That was a, I love that movie. Okay. <laughs> and I really like Us. I really like Us a lot. Yeah. And I think a large portion of that has to do with the fact that I used to live in Sacramento and I... Would I spent a lot of time at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk? So here is a horror movie that is takes place somewhere I've been. Yeah, you know. So the last postscript, and then we will be done with this, is Selig the Conjurer, the Carney looking for his next big gimmick, the guy with the strange ass zoo, the fake Colonel, the man who accidentally started Hollywood. Um, I've got a picture of him. Here, Bunny, can you put the last picture up, Bunny? That fake colonel. Horny con man looking for his next big score would be known as one of Hollywood's founding fathers, and you can pay tribute to this strange ma ass man by visiting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Freaking Fame. That's Selig the Conjurer's star. Fail upwards. Fail freaking upwards. So go and visit Selig the Conjurer. He's at 6116 Hollywood Boulevard. He's near Rock Hudson Star and also a fairly decent Subway restaurant. <laughs> William Selig, he got a freaking star. He got a freaking star by screwing over Thomas Edison. So that is the story, the true story of the first mockumentary. I am wildly proud of this. Of this. I'm sorry that it was so long, Bunny. Yeah. I talked myself uh, sober from that uh, uh, pre-roll that I did before the show, but uh, what a great story, huh? Yes, but just a small aside as it pops in my head. I mean, like, but that's kind of, kind of the founding of Hollywood altogether. I mean, Hollywood is on the other coast in a lot of reasons to avoid patent infringement suits. Yep. Yeah. There was something with the projectors as well that was that was a stolen patent. Yep. But this guy screwed over Thomas Edison, and because of that, you saw Top Gun Maverick. And back in the day, it wasn't that easy getting to California to sue somebody. Yeah. Yeah, Top so Gun go, Maverick. Did we fucking need that? 
So go and visit William Selig's star. Then after that, say hi to Rock Hudson. Give him my phone number. And then head on over to the subway and get a foot-long meatball sub. And this is what I have done literally in the past. They ask, would you like anything else? And I say, yes, some mayonnaise. And they said, mayonnaise. Okay, how much? And I say, keep on putting it in there until you say, oh, my God, this is way too much. That's when you stop. Oh. I can shoot shoot meatballs out of my butt like a Nerf gun. Yeah, I would would imagine. So this has been a great historic approximation. Yes, it has. That was fun, wasn't it? Yes. All right. So. I am going to have to mm -hmm. see these movies for their historical importance. And, 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 And I am so big into King Kong. I cannot not see, at least in Gagi, but the historical significance of Son of Agagi, I might have to watch that too. And and this is what I think should be the new logo for our podcast. It's a tortadillo drawn to look like a Pokemon. I'll get some of my kids working on that. Being carried up into outer space by, by a flying saucer. That's 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 it right there. Boom. That's the money shot. Nailed it. Uh. Uh, so I'll get I'll get to work on that, bunny. I'll get to work on our new logo. In my mind, it's beautiful. Uh, so that's it for historic approximations this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, be sure and join us next time for more educationally uneducational fun with Historic approximations, or as I like to call it, and cut on that. Yes. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to uh, go into part three of the podcast where we're talking about this week's movie, Brian and Charles, bizarre British comedy about a robot named Charles Petrescu. Yeah. Uh, I love this movie so much, but we're going to take a break intermission. There's going to be cartoons and some videos, maybe a song, maybe me as a guy, but I'm okay with that. And, uh, we will be right. Do you think we should take a break, buddy? Do you think we should? We, we need to take a break. Yes. Or there is going to be an accident on this here couch. Okay. Uh, we will be right back with more of the Pobon film after this. Wink. Do 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 and break. Well, hey there, my little toad schools. It's me, fucking alien. You become the thing I'm being. We'll be treated like family. Just saying like we don't like very much. It's a cheap hotel downtown. Only five grand a month. 
it's kind of a rough area, so bring a gun. Just don't let anybody see you with a gun. They'll shoot you if they think you have a gun. Watch these videos from Undead Cow Studios and the Pope on Film. Okay, so I'm gonna show you one of my favorite books in the world, and it's right here. And it's called Heaven is Real and Fun by Kim Robinson. And then here's the subtitle. It actually says, you don't float around wearing diapers and eating grapes. I love this book so much. This woman believes that, like literally believes that when she prays, Jesus takes her from earth and lets her play in heaven. Uh, here's what the back says. Since 1988, the Holy Spirit has been taking me to heaven. Jesus would show me various fun places and allowed me to do fun things. I asked, why, why was he showing me these places? Daddy slash God said, because people think all they do here is float around wearing diapers, eating grapes, or doing nothing but bowing before me. So this is my favorite passage of the book, and it's called Play Gel Balls. Okay. I'm not sure if this, hold on, I'm going to do this in two parts. Okay, you ready for this? This morning while worshiping, I was caught up in the spirit and stepped over into heaven when I heard Jesus say, come play gel balls. It's like a water balloon, but the ball is full of giggly joy gel. You can squeeze it into yourself. When you put one in yourself, you laugh intensely. Here in the, in the spirit realm, you can place things into yourself as if you were transparent. When you try to hit the other person with these joy gel balls, they try to get hit. So it will go into them, and they will intensely laugh. <laughs> They can also catch it and squeeze it into themselves, intensely laugh and keep playing. Heaven is so fun and filled with intense laughter. This reminded me of Job 8.21 that says, He will yet fill your mouth with laughter 
and your lips with joyful shouting. Hello there. Yeah, so anyway, I love this book. I love this book so much, and a lot of people have asked me, why do you love this book so much? And, and the thing that I love about this book is that it, this isn't a joke. This person actually believes uh, chapter 2, Daddy, God, and the Holy Spirit in Heaven. It, this woman actually believes that she can leave Earth and travel to Heaven where she has a vaguely uh, a high sexual tension relationship with Jesus. There's a passage in here where she's slow dancing with Jesus. Fragrance of Jesus. Like this woman wants to bang our Lord and Savior. And I, I just love this. I, I just. Jesus is in me. Jesus is in me. This woman wants to bang Christ. And I just love this book because. If, if if you're on the street and you're pushing a shopping cart and the police ask you, what's up with you? And you say, oh, I, I, I've been talking to Jesus. He takes me. He takes me to, uh, to roller coasters. Roller coasters in heaven. You don't uh, just float around on a cloud wearing divers and eating grapes. Then you'd be put in an institution or a prison and you'd rot in there for the rest of your life. But if you're an old white woman, and you say those things, then uh, congratulations, you're a prophet. It's it's insane. This woman is clearly insane. Hey, everybody, it's me, Mickey Mouse. Say, you want to come inside? You want to come inside? You want to come inside? Oh, my God! Wow! Wanna see a real weasel? Elon fucking Musk. The trust fund baby born with a silver spoon in his mouth who considers himself a self-made man thinks he's too good to pay taxes. Yeah, this two-bit Tony Stark who cosplays as a working class hero had the balls to say, if they come for my money, they'll be coming for yours next. Like, we haven't been getting fisted by this government's infinity gauntlet for the last four decades. Bitch, don't dare pretend to be one of us if you can't even pay your taxes. But then again, we wouldn't name our kids this. Whatever the fuck this is. Christ's sakes. We feel you, little... this. That's a large lump of selfish piece of shit. And we suffer along with you, little man. You'll have us all killed as soon as we're finished building his life-supporting dome city. At least you'll have your therapist to dump all the vitriolic bile you've built up towards a narcissistic father who doesn't know how to show love. Eat the rich. And now, please enjoy this video from our good friend, Liz a day. She pays taxes.
think I'm gonna procrastinate a little bit more. Oh, oh, I'll hit no strings without my right hand. Using my left hand, singing. I need to quit singing so I can start drinking. Here I go. Dark in the city, night is a while. Steaming the subway, the world is on fire. Woman, you want me? Give me a sign. Catch my breathing even closer behind. With the ground, I'm on a hotel after you. I smell like a sound, I lost in a crowd, and I'm hungry like a wolf. Cross the line, a discord and rhyme. I'm on a hotel after you. My mouth is alive with juices and wine, and I'm hungry like a wolf. <laughs> Too close behind to be a funny by the moonlight side. Do 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 Have a drumming on your skin so tight. You feel my heat, I'm just a moment behind. Do do do
deserves a drink. Don't mind if I do. So until next week, this is so wrong. Who got a problem with me? Bum, bum, And his tummy is a washing machine. So happy together. Keep showing to people. Why not? And what you want for them? At least not for some. Why are you wearing that? I feel pretty cool, man. I want to go on an adventure. Everything is lovely. It's not all lovely. Stay down, boy. There's a big old world out there. A big perilous world. Oh my gosh. Okay. What was that? Perilous. So very perilous. I want to sit in the front, Brian. No, you're not sitting in the front. You're sitting in the back. I will sit in the front. You'll sit in the back. Front. Stop saying front. Front, 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 front. I've never met anybody that could build a robot. <laughs> I'm not a child. I can look after myself, man. What's got into you? I tend to learn from each thing that I build. Bullseye! I am your friend, Bran. I'm your friend, too. I want to go to Honolulu. Charles, what are you wearing? It's my Hawaiian hula skirt.
And we're back with more of the Pope on film. It's time, Bunny! It is time. It is time. God, it is time. <laughs> yes, Bunny, my friend, it is time once again for all of us here at the Pope on Film podcast to sashay our way into the third and final part of our painfully long podcast. But this week it was worth it because uh, Ngagi is crazy. Uh, and it is said third part wherein we finally and eventually get around to discussing our uh, newly released 4K restored director's cut now with all new scenes and bonus features movie of the week. And this week we take a look at the utterly delightful 2022 British comedy Brian and Charles. Charles Petrescu. Funny. <laughs> I, I love this film. I absolutely love it. It's in my top 10 for the year. I love it. And I absolutely know why. Let me tell you why. 2020. Uh, 2016. Uh, it, there's an election, and the worst person gets fewer votes. But this is America, so they became president. Yes. And so we're fighting this corruption, and the fact that he has done so many crimes and hasn't been arrested uh, tells should tell everyone, especially me, that uh, police, crimes, jail, laws, they're just for people without money. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, because if laws were an actual thing that, uh, that applied to everyone, including the ultra-rich, then Trump would have been put away forever ago. Yeah, so uh, we're fighting this president. We're absolutely fighting corruption and fighting the government, and there's no laws. And and then a deadly pandemic happens, and people are dying left and right. And uh, we had the absolute worst president for that. Yes. Remember, oh, it's going to go away. It's a miracle. Remember, I am the chosen one. It's going to go away. We we have we to stop testing. Long. We keep getting new cases because we're testing. So we're finding yeah. them. So we have to stop testing, and then there won't be no, no more new cases. And then all of these uh, right-wing conservative evangelicals are like, oh, things were better under Trump. And it's like, don't you remember when we were keeping, when we were stacking dead corpses in freezers? Yeah. And uh -huh. we were burying them in cardboard boxes in fields in mass graves because we didn't know what to do with these dead, disease-riddled bodies? Remember fighting a 90-year-old woman for, for the last roll of toilet paper in the frickin' town? 
I I have I have made a a representation of this, and I think it's time to show it. Okay. Are you pulling something up on the screen right now? Okay, I ask because number one, I'm high. Number two, I'm really high. And number three, uh, you get to watch this, I believe, as it's happening, but I have to watch it on the stream on the actual twitch.tv. So there's a lag. There's a delay. And so I guess I'm just going to have to say all of the lines to Edward's Plan 9 from Outer Space until this thing pops up on the screen. Greetings, you my friends. We are all interested. You to be able to see it by now. Nope. Oh, okay. I was looking at the middle. Tell me it's oh, your no. picture. Okay, Jesus. It's been up here this whole freaking time. Okay, so... I'm not sure what I'm this... looking at. This is this sums up everything that you're talking about. It is Captain America with a dinosaur head on a squishy, stretchy cat. Okay, yeah, that's uh, pretty much what I thought. Yeah, there you go. That's America. Yes, that's America right now. Uh-huh. A- and and just the hypocrisy. We have all been through so much in 2020 and 2021. It, we've we have been through it. People have died, and uh, it it, and now we're dealing with all this stuff. And and the the far right is like, how dare Biden allow this one Chinese spy balloon to float lazily over parts of the country? We need to. We need to prosecute him. We need to put him in front of a firing squad. This is the worst thing in the world. And then news comes out that uh, there were three Chinese spy balloons during the Trump administration, and he kept them all hidden. But it doesn't matter that uh, it happened three times under Trump. What matters is that it happened once under Biden, and Democrats are held to like the highest of standards. Meanwhile, you can just be a a former reality TV show and alleged rapist and become president for Republicans. Yes. That it's like, oh, here is Barack Obama, and he is a senator, and he is a historian, and he was first in his class at law school, and he's a constitutional scholar. And they had to jump numerous hoops to be at the highest levels levels of academia to be a Democratic president. But then here's a Republican president. I own a baseball team. Now watch me shoot this drive. Yeah. But it's you know, it's okay that Trump did it three times and hit it from the public. What happened is what's what's the problem is, is that it happened to Biden once. So we've been through all of this shit. And the last thing that I want to do is pay money to sit down in a theater and watch a three-hour drama that's going to make me depressed. Yeah. I want to be entertained. I want to see something fun. And 
this movie is just sweet and fun. It's like Cotton Candy the movie. Yes. It's just, it's a warm freaking blanket. It's a onesie. It's Linus's security blanket. It's a unicorn set of pajamas. This is a hot cup of tea in an afternoon, and you've got a book of poetry in front of you, and you've got nothing to do. <laughs> that is this movie. I freaking love this movie. It's a tight 90 minutes. It's cute. It's funny. It's got heart, and I love it. I, I, it's actually so bizarre, so uh, bizarrely paced, and such a bizarre plot and bizarre characters. It's so strange and odd. It's kind of astounding that this is not an A24 film. Oh, 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 to be sure, yes. Although I, I question how odd it really is, or if a lot of its oddness has to do with its, its foreign. It's Welsh. It is Welsh. They filmed it in uh, Welshia. But is it any stranger? Is it any stranger than any small town story with strange offbeat characters? You know, it could be fucking Mayberry. Well, I do think that, like, Honestly, Brian and Charles and Marcel the Shell with shoes on would be a real great double feature. Oh, yes. Because they're just two quirky, fun, family-friendly comedies that... Although also... we, we went directly from this to a movie I recently got but had never seen, Reuben and Ed, and that also made a good double feature. Nice. Reuben and Ed. Is it about the making of the sandwich? Uh, no, it is Crispin Glover and Howard Hessman. Howard Hessman? As in head of the class, Howard Hessman? In, Before in he a, got in a road trip buddy comedy. Huh. You know what I want to see? I want to see 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. The Jeff Goldblum show? It was Jeff Goldblum and the guy from Pippin. What's his name? Ben Vereen. Join us, yes, Ben Barine. I freaking love Ben Barine. Ah, oh, I love Ben Barine. He is so handsome. I have been on estrogen since the beginning of summer 2022, and it is fascinating to see me out and to see me about because my my I am changing. I'm finding out who I am, and my emotions are changing. My my mind is changing. I, I have a trans son and literally like every molecule within our body is changing. And uh, so yeah. I was uh, out and about doing a delivery. I have a delivery job. And I am, yeah, I'm like Fry. Fry, Philip J. Fry. There you go. I, and I, I'm doing a delivery, and I'm delivering it. And as I get out of my car, a car pulls in, and it's the guy who owns the house. And he gets out of the car, and he said, hey, 
You got my order there. Can I help you with the stuff out of the car, ma'am? And I say, sure. He is like six foot five black man with a chiseled jaw and huge muscles. And he had a tattooed sleeve. And for the first time in my life, I just went, hello, nurse. <laughs> hello. And like, I think I tried to flirt. Yeah. I'm not good. That's what I've learned. <laughs> but like, oh, man, this guy. Is it wrong that I want him to pick me up? Just hold me in his big muscular arms. Man. Dude was hot. So that leads us back to Brian and Charles. Well, well, (laughs) you're leaving out the most important part here. How did he tip? Uh, He tipped me pretty good, actually. He tipped me pretty good. Yeah. And I'm I live in a small town, so there's a good chance that I might deliver it to him again. Wink, wink. <laughs> I don't know what that wink was, but I know where his house is now. And now I drive past it, and it's like that's the house. That's the house right there. That's the house. <laughs> so that's exciting. It's exciting to see the changes. Funny. What are your thoughts on this movie? Very sweet, very, very subtle, dry comedy, which uh, caused me a bit of a problem with the drugs. Because when I started watching this movie, I was hyper-focused, and I was getting all of the weird little jokes, or the weird little things that happened. Like, there was this one part where uh, I think he ba- he basically just finished building Charles and he was showing him off. And yeah. for a second, the way he was in the shot, the cameraman didn't know who the fuck to focus on, to focus on him or focus on the robot in the back. And like... You got deep. You could, you could see the indecision in the goddamn focusing. Yeah. And it made me laugh. <laughs> Wow, so you were just blasted on your mind. You were looking at the fine print. And there was a lot of little shit like that, just subtle little shit throughout the whole thing that was just hysterical. And then the high itself started to change, and I wasn't picking up nearly as much on the drier humor. Yeah. But I knew it was still there. I just have to find it again. I, I like the little things like he he's checking Charles because he's not working and he pulls out a big glowing disco ball. Huh, the spleen works. I just love that. I just yeah. love the little the little things. I what would you what I find really interesting about this movie is why do we care so much? <gasps> What what makes us care? It's a box. Yeah. Yeah. It's a box with a humanish head on it. 
that speaks without tone or emotion. But we feel for it when the we fucking definitely do. But but I find it really interesting. Like why it doesn't seem to really be anything there. Yep. To make a connection with. Yeah. Yeah. But there is because you feel for Charles. Is it just this puberty story that is like so ingrained on us because we all fucking had to live it? It it does feel it does give me a lot of uh, parent vibes. So I have five kids, so I know what it's like to like the doorbell rings. Shh, don't make a noise. But you can't tell a kid don't make a noise. Yeah. Ah, this movie. Oh, it was definitely a father and son movie. Yeah, or a father and a a, a genderless being. Yeah. I mean, because there's no reason to believe it's male. It, It it was again. It was emotionless. So there's no reason to believe it's either male or female. Yeah. And that's actually kind of a curious question now. I, I perceive a male. What do you think? Uh, I perceive a washing machine. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how to check if a washing machine has a dick. Uh, well, those are, those are cute, clearly male legs. Yes, but also he does dress up as a woman. He comes out, and I like that. He, yeah. he wants to look pretty. True. I think I look pretty cool. I love that. Well, that's that's what I mean. I mean, it's you know, it's it's, it's genderless. Yeah. What would you consider? But it's not. Uh, we we put a personality uh-huh. on it, and we and we care and we feel for it. Yeah. I, not a lot of people have seen Brian and Charles. What would you say is the plot of this film? And the conflict. I think I think it's a it's a basic single single male raises a child story, and the conflict is the idiot in town. You know what I there's only one problem that I had about this movie and that would be there's no tortadillos. No tortadillos. No tortadillos. Where are all the tortadillos? Uh, if you don't if you don't know what that meant, then you, that's why you should listen to the whole thing or watch us stream on Twitch right. because historic approximations. It's milk and eggs, bitch. That's right. This movie I it's cheap. It did not make a lot at the box office, but it's done so earnestly, I guess is how I would say it. The characters are so genuine and the characterizations are good that during the end credits, and if you haven't seen it, this is true. A robot raps. But instead of being embarrassing or cringe or ugh, a, a, a robot is rapping. 
Um, it's sweet and funny, and I dig it. And and yeah, you find yourself rooting for a crappy robot. That's pretty astounding. Yeah. Yeah. That's why this is such a good movie. And Brian has this positivity in this that's admirable because, like, you are happy. It's difficult to be happy and optimistic even when you know your life sucks and you're in a shitty situation. Yeah. But Brian has that. Yeah. in droves and it's admirable and I love Charles Petrescu Petrescu I was legitimately worried the first time that I saw the British that I saw this and Charles was taken away by the characters who are I would say essentially the British version the British equivalent to O'Doyle rules or the creepy family from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The hills have eyes. Yeah. But a village. Yeah. The Poils in it's Always Sunny? I don't know. But I found myself worried and scared and emotionally invested in a shitty fake robot with a washing machine for a body. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cute, adorable, fun film. Well, I, I really wonder if it's because, I mean, it, it, it's just the story uh, of the growth of a child going yeah. through all the normal stages of childhood, and maybe that is where we're identifying. Maybe. Because we all know that story, and we all know it from a a, a very, very emotional place. I'm getting the uh, the magic hour sunset happening right here, yeah. and it's I'm looking great. <laughs> I this square over here on this side, on this side, this is where all the all the hotness is happening. <laughs> so every year. At the end of the year, I make a list of my 10 favorite movies of the year. Because in 2019, I started watching three movies a week, so I saw everything. So I started keeping a list of the movies that I like the most and changing it throughout the year. And I work really hard every year to make this list of my favorite movies of the year. And I loved Brian and Charles so much that I believe it got all the way to either number two or number three. I watched it pretty early in the year, and then it got bumped around a little bit. This is one of those movies that I said when we did, when we did everything everywhere all at once, I said that there were a handful of movies that could have easily been one of my favorite movies of the year if it hadn't been for everything everywhere all at once and Joe Butapaki. Yeah. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On would have been a a top contender were it not for Marcel the show which were it not for everything everywhere uh glass onion they made a weird Al Yankovic movie starring Harry Potter where weird Al Yankovic kills a bunch of drug kin kingpins yes that is amazing yes and that would have been number one but Frickin' Joe Butapaki came and, and just took it. And now 
there's a good chance it might win in the Oscars, dude. The Oscars this year are going to be my freaking Super Bowl. Ten Super Bowls. Can't wait. There's a good <laughs> chance. That freaking short round data from Goonies might walk away with an Oscar yes. for acting. I, oh, I am so pumped up about that. But uh, this movie ended up at the end of the year. Uh, Brian and Charles was my number five favorite movie of the year right after Weird, the Al Yankovic story, and right before The Menu, which is such a good movie. Is it? I really like The Menu. And then my brother texted me like a couple of weeks ago. I may have already mentioned this. My older brother texted me. Have you seen this movie? I just saw it. It's called The Menu. It's really good. And it's like, I already saw that. You're not allowed to like my movie. This is mine. <laughs> What's next? You're going to be walking around like Charles Petrescu? <laughs> not allowed. This movie is mine. Okay. So here are some stats. This is a 2022 British film. It started off as a short film. Now, the guy who stars in Brian and Charles, Brian, that's uh, uh, he's a British actor and comedian named Chris Hayward. He pops up in a lot of Ricky Gervais stuff. Yeah. He was in Extras. He had a small part in that. He had a bigger part in Derek, which I never saw. Uh, there was a period in time where every time I went on Netflix, they're like, are you ready to see? Derek? No, I'm not. Stop it. I'm not watching Derek. I don't know what this is, but I'm not watching it. I've also never watched uh, Trailer Park Boys. It's another one. No. That they always try and get me to watch. It's like, no, not at all. Um, you know what? Huh. Netflix is going to lose our business. Good, yeah. Netflix is going to lose our business. I heard that Netflix got bullied into reversing its decisions, that people uh, Sonic the Hedgehog to them. They fucking better have. I saw that, I think, on Twitter right before. Yeah. And their stocks are going to fucking tumble yeah. if, they keep up, if they go with that. Because right now, Netflix only exists as a repository for Gilmore Girls, and I think you should leave. Especially and Saturday morning all-star hits. Considering that they continuously raise their prices. They keep raising their prices, yeah. All the time, and now I hear they're adding commercials. Yep. Like, what the fuck is that? And you're releasing shit weekly. So what is? This is just TV. I'm yep. not gonna pay for TV. Fuck you, Netflix. Hey, and remember? You're not even gonna let me share it. It's fuck. uh, it's video killed the radio star. Remember when we said, "Hey, we need to get rid of cable streaming. You can have whatever you want, but now streaming is just TV." Yeah. Streaming is just cable. Just TV, and I'm yeah. paying for it, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, it's the same thing, exact same thing. I have a good pirate right here. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, uh, Chris Hayward made a short film, and then a British director oh, named Tim Jim Warren, Archer. By the way, I'm not sure when that popped up though. Oh, hey, look at that. Yeah, I just saw it. Okay, uh, we're almost done. We're good. Uh, Jim, then a British director named Jim Arthur, who directed a bunch of British films I've never heard of that are real British-y. Uh, don't you come round and round to Rewo. 
Uh, he set out to make a feature film version of the short film of Chris Hayward's, and it was all set to start filming in and around April of 2020. I foresee no problem. So, yeah, so the making of the movie got postponed, and the director was worried that his strange robot comedy would get canceled, because, like, if there's a deadly pandemic, like, then you're your number one priority is not going to be, we got to make sure that the bad-looking robot with a washing machine for a body gets made. <laughs> uh, but it started filming at the end of 2020, so this was still pandemic times. It, it started filming in, like, October of 2020, so it, it was filmed in the thick of it. Uh, and... Boom. There you go. A lot of people don't even know this movie exists. It made a wee bit less than a million dollars at the box office. Really? Worldwide. Yeah. I was considering driving like an hour and 15 minutes to go see it uh, at a movie theater uh, way off in downtown Oklahoma City, but um, I just didn't want to drive that far. Yeah, And so uh, I waited until the exact second it was available as something that I could download legally. And I did. And great movie. Wonderful movie. It's just so much fun. This wasn't a hit, but if you want to see a fun, light, quirky British comedy, just boom, Brian and Charles is adorable. It is freaking adorable. Yes, I agree. It was very adorable. Want to say anything? I love it. <laughs> I loved it. I love this movie so much. Yeah. Okay. So if you think Brian and Charles is cute, just wait till next episode. <gasps> so uh, next week, it's actually two weeks from now, but next week, um, we were going to do this made-for-TV post-apocalyptic drama that's supposed to actually be scary and that many people, when it first came out, were scarred by it. But no, fuck that. I found an extremely low-budget, crappy 80s horror film. And it's one of those beautiful grindhouse films where let me tell you the plot of the film oh wait it is all in the title i don't have to go into the minutiae of attack of the killer tomatoes okay i don't have to go into the minutiae of uh the Rhapsody Street Kids believe in Santa Claus. Oh. <laughs> it's all right there. Uh, get ready for this. Next week. Flesh-eating mothers. Flesh-eating mothers. Flesh-eating mothers. They're getting their children ready for dinner. I, you you have my attention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Django. So what Gentlemen. was the what was the movie you were going to do? 
I don't know. It's called something like in the year 2889 or something like that. I don't remember. I put it on our shared copy. Yeah, I downloaded but then, it. I, I, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, we were going to do that, but when you when you find a movie called Flesh Eating Mothers, you got to do Flesh Eating Mothers. You got to do Flesh Eating Mothers, most, most sure. Okay, so let me tell you the, a, a bit about the plot of Flesh Eating Mothers. There's this one horny dude in the small American, all-American town, and he's banging all the slutty moms. But then a disease happened. All of the slutty chicks who banged this one dude at the bar become cannibals and start eating their children. Okay. I don't know who stars in it. I'm assuming uh, Sir John Gielgud, Jack Nicholson, and uh, possibly... Uh, Jesus Christ himself. Nice. Uh, and I don't know who wrote the script. I'm assuming thinking, it's based on a work of Shakespeare. I am thinking we would be extremely lucky if we got Linnea Quigley. But I strictly, highly doubt it. I saw the trailer. There is no way they can afford that name. <laughs> In that 1988. I wouldn't be surprised if they filmed it directly to a VHS tape. I am so excited. Next episode. Flesh eating mothers. Oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Even if it's bad, it's going to be fun. It's flesh eating mothers. Yes. So excited to do this. So that's next week. But now that I'm looking back at this week. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Charles Petrescu. Selig the Conqueror in Goggy for Pete's sake. King Kong's bastard stepfather. I'm the inventor of Peeps. Uh, menacing wild turkeys led by Kevin Sorbo. Uh, yes. This has been pretty long. I see the time. Right, right, right down here, actually. Right down here. Hello. I see you time on Twitch. Uh, Robin, can you not be a whiny dog right now? You're ruining the podcast. Uh, now that I'm looking back at this episode, I got to say, this has been this has been a pretty darn good episode of the podcast. This has been a damn good episode. Okay, good. With, See, with I... an award-winning hap. Thank you. Thank you. I... I, I thought the same thing but i feel like you're the person who makes that decision not me and i didn't want to step on any toes but yes i concur with your assessment good sir so until next week i am bunny williams and i am maylin and on behalf of uh who has been on the show with me today on behalf of my wife natasha and uh, my kids, Mal, Eleanor, Maxwell, I just want to say thanks for listening, and we will see you next week, you godless heathens. And dishwashers and poopy tits. Thank you, Maxwell. You everyone named Brian. And you <laughs> everyone named Brian. And... Everybody who likes donuts. <laughs> and everyone who likes donuts. Okay. Do, 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 do.
Do 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 do. Skitty Papa do wow cut and print and print on a. Yes, I wasn't too high to do the podcast. You what?